Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to the podcast. It's episode 392. It's November 11th, 2020. It is, of course, Veterans Day here in the United States. So I want to thank any veterans who are listening. And we are joined today by a veteran of the U.S. Navy. He is Mike Lee. He's president of a firm OpX Solutions, LLC. Mike was one of the contributors to our anthology book, Practicing Lean, if you want to check that out at practicinglean.com. So a few highlights from Mike's career. He began as an officer in the U.S. Navy in the late 80s, specializing in nuclear propulsion and surface warfare. We'll talk a little bit about some of his um, leadership lessons from the Navy. He then spent 13 years with General Electric and held various leadership and senior management positions at different manufacturing sites. And during his last five years at GE, he was an internal lean consultant who worked with over 25 GE factories and suppliers. And part of his training, um, he spent 45 weeks being trained by Shingejitsu, um, the, the famed lean consulting firm. So Today, Mike and I have a wide-ranging conversation. We start off by talking about the need for leaders to break down barriers and to understand what those barriers really are. Um, again, we'll learn, uh, we'll, we'll hear about some of Mike's lessons from the Navy. We'll talk about leadership behaviors and organizations that are problematic, and uh, we'll try to figure out what are some of the root causes of those behaviors. So if you'd like to find a link to Mike's website, his extended bio, Again, to learn about the book Practicing Lean, you can find all of that at leanblog.org slash 392. Thanks for listening. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you today? Doing good. I'm, I'm happy we could talk and um, lots uh, that we can cover related to um, the work you do and, and some of the challenges organizations face and what we can do about that. But um, you know, maybe first off, um, if, if you can uh, introduce yourself for the audience, and then I always like to ask people kind of weave into that story, you know, how did you first get started with Lean? How did you get introduced to this approach? Sure. Um, so I'm the president of OpEx Solutions. Uh, we are a performance improvement company. We, we help organizations and their leaders break down barriers that keep them from achieving their goals by developing leaders and improving processes. And so my background is I started OpEx Solutions back in 2013. Uh, prior to that, I had a 13-year manufacturing career. Uh, which was primarily operational leadership roles, but a significant role at the end of that as an internal lean consultant, if you will, internal lean leader. And we can talk about that. That's kind of where I started with lean. Um, and before that, I was a naval officer, uh, active duty 10 years, and during my corporate time also in the reserves, so I retired from the military about 12 years ago. So most of my career has been uh, in operational leadership roles. I, I have a passion for leadership. And then I developed a passion for lean later on. And so I started my business uh, seven years ago, putting those two passions together, if you will. Little did I know as I continued learning more about lean, just how interrelated and important both of them are. So that's kind of my journey up till now. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to hear more 
um, like what were your perspectives? Um, you know, you mentioned being an you know internal direct line leadership role versus being an internal coach or consultant or whatever word you might use. What, what are some kind of, you know, reflections that come to mind from those two different roles and navigating that? Yeah, it, it was incredibly, it's been incredibly beneficial, I believe, in my ability to support organizations and leaders having been in their shoes. Um, my last operational role was a production manager, about a, a team of about 170 people. So it was a, it was a fairly significant leadership role. And, uh, and because of that, many of the leaders who we work with and that I work with both internally back in my corporate role as an internal lean leader, as well as now uh, independently with my own business, uh, it really helps to put some, what I'd like to say, some practicality into what we try to do. Because as you know, Mark, there, there are a lot of people out there who are working toward practicing and implementing lean. And, and sometimes without that experience, uh, it's, it's really possible for there to be zealots on you know, how things should be done philosophically and so forth. But sometimes you also have to have the picture of what an organization is trying to do. And, and walking in a manager's shoes when they're simply trying to get you know, production out the door or whatever it might be. And so having been in, having done that, I think has helped me give a perspective of a little bit of reality in, in, in help in pursuing lean. Yeah. And, and, and thinking back to your time in the Navy, what types of roles were you in when, when you were in the Navy and the reserves, what kind of environments? Yeah, I, I was uh, on surface ships in the Navy. And my specialty was actually nuclear propulsion. So I spent a lot of time in engineering at first, uh, supervising um, propulsion, nuclear propulsion plants on a, specifically on a nuclear powered cruiser. Uh, but then my later years, I was in operations again, I was the operations officer uh, for on a frigate. And that provided uh, also some unique perspectives. And as when we get to talk about leadership, I, I do want to tell you a story about that with the commanding officer I had, because it was one of those experiences that began creating this passion for leadership that I have. Do, do you want to go ahead and tell Sure. Story? Well, yeah, <laughs> since I give that lead in, huh? Yeah, go um, ahead. Sorry. Right. So <laughs> when I was the operations leader, the ops officer, if you will, on this frigate, uh, we, uh, when I got to the ship, we were, it, the ship itself was very capable. You know, I, I would just say we were okay. We could do our job. There was nothing special. We weren't bad. We weren't great. And as the operations officer, one of the responsibilities I had was the ship's schedule, the ship's performance, the watch standing, um, a lot of the evolutions that, that occur on the ship. And about six months into that journey, we got a new commanding officer. And uh, literally, Mark, within two weeks, the ship began transforming. And I, I've never seen anything like it since then. Uh, what happened was he came on the ship, and for all the senior people on board, he started talking to us, and he said, guys, <laughs> I've got two rules. That's it, just two rules. Number one, I want you to do your job. I want everybody on the ship to know what their job is and to do it, and do it professionally. And the second is... I want everybody to take care of each other. 
So if somebody's struggling next to you, take care of them. If they're getting trouble out in town, stop them. You know, take care of each other. If we do that, we're going to do a great job. Well, Mark, you would think you couldn't believe it. You know, we, we were in an organization that had a lot of rules and curfews for the sailors and so forth. Before you know it, the senior enlisted guys were telling the junior guys, I've never seen this before. Don't screw it up. You will not get a commanding officer like this again. And, you know, we in, quickly we won the Battle E Award. In, in, in the Navy, you're in squadrons. And a Battle E is kind of like... Um, it's really a, a, an award of operational excellence within your squadron. You're, you're identified as the top ship in your squadron. And so we won that and, and we really did a phenomenal job all because this guy um, created a certain culture and leadership that transformed the ship. And, and that was when I realized, wow, <laughs> the impact good leadership can have on an organization is outstanding. And, and that also, when I look back at it, Mark, you know, when he said, just everybody do their job and everybody take care of each other, it's, it's really somewhat similar when you think about in lean, you know, do your job, do standard work, and then continue to improve standard work, or do your work and think about that next person who you're delivering to a service or your customer, right? Take care of your team and teamwork. And it's really the same message, ironically, but back then I had never even heard of lean, so. But, um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, we talk about, I mean, leadership and culture, we're going to delve more into that today. Um, I'm having flashbacks to my experiences right out of college 25 years ago at General Motors. Um, my two years in that plant in my hometown in Livonia, Michigan, we had one very traditional old school plant manager. Performance in the plant was terrible. The people didn't like coming to work. But that changed at the top. We got a new plant manager who was one of the original uh, GM people who was sent to NUMI to learn from Toyota. So same 800 people in the plant, different leadership at the top made um, a huge difference in terms of the way he led and his mindsets and the way he interacted with people. And I, and I saw very early in my career how powerful he was, you know, plant manager, commanding officer, of, you know, he was the top person at the plant. And, um, you know, I think there are a lot of inspirations that come from the Navy. I, I think of two books that come to mind, very similar stories and very similar ideas you may have heard of. Uh, one's called It's Your Ship, I believe, and the other is called uh, Turn the Ship Around. Yeah. And one of the authors, I think, spoke at an AME conference. It's my vague yeah. recollection. Yeah. Is that... I have not, I did not see it or attend, but, um, but yes, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with both of those, those, uh, those books. And, and I mean, so what, do, what are your thoughts in terms of, you know, like what lessons we take away from the leadership styles that you saw, or even more broadly leadership styles within the Navy, are, are there parallels or commonalities to what we might consider good lean leadership? Yeah, there's, there's definitely similarities. Uh, ironically, we're referencing the Navy and uh, many people sometimes relate a military leader with some of that dictatorial, you know, type A leadership style. And that's actually, uh, it, it's, it's unfortunate 
because the best military leaders are actually not that type of leader. They exhibit the same strong leadership styles as other organizations. Uh, the reason that myth or that stereotype exists is because, you know, many leaders did act that way and that was expected historically the way you lead. And military leaders can get away with it more because of the unique nature of uniform service and so forth. But the truly best military leaders and all leaders really exhibit the same skills. And, and as it relates to lean leadership, the, some of, there's, there's several different things really, we could talk about some, but one of the key ones is the ability to motivate and engage and empower your team, right? How, how as a leader do you create an environment that's motivational? And, and, and do so in a way where you, all your team members, they want to be at work, they, they are fired up. That may be a little extreme way to say it, but they're excited about what they do every day and, yeah. and they're engaged. You know, there's famous, it's, it's quoted all the time, the Gallup surveys on employee engagement, right? Where, you know, roughly a third of all employees in the United States are actively engaged huge opportunity and and that's directly related to leadership so in lean we want to develop this climate this organizational culture where everybody is involved in the continuous improvement of the organization right and in order to do that those same employees on your team need to be engaged they need to be motivated and that's that is a leadership skill and a leadership behavior that's in the culture that's necessary for that to be successful. So that's probably the biggest trait, if you will, that strong leaders are also strong lean leaders. And, and actually, Mark, I don't think there's a big difference. The only difference between a strong lean leader and just a strong leader in general is that I th the lean leaders are are also asking for improvement, right? They, they really are taking the time to to ask for change and ask for improvement. Uh, they, they may be coaching more with regard to the skills and tools and techniques of lean, but generally it's the same skill set. It really is. So, you know, in our business, we, we develop a lot of leaders. We help develop a lot of leaders and it's completely developing strong leadership skills exactly translate to becoming a strong lean leader. They really are the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and um, what you said reminds me of uh, something I learned from um, Jim Adams, who I've mentioned, I think, in various podcast episodes before. He was the lab director at a, a children's hospital that um, I worked with for a couple of years, and Jim was retired from Army medicine. And what you're saying, um, you know, something that Jim um, taught me a lot about, of you, you call that, you know, that stereotype of command and control leadership of uh, barking orders, do as I say, don't question things. And, you know, Jim would explain that, well, you know, there's a difference between like, sure, if you're in battle, there are moments where that leadership style uh, has to be followed. But as you were saying, he's like, ah, oh, daily life in army medicine was a much more collaborative um, leadership style. And, and so then when he went into uh, civilian sector medicine and learned about lean and systems thinking and other topics that were 
um, a passion of his. He's saying you know, a lot of it was, uh, was quite to him quite intuitive. It was giving slightly different language um, to, to describe some things that he had experienced and, and come to appreciate from his time in the army. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, 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 I've had the opportunity, the fortune, good fortune to work with some first responders in our area, mm-hmm. some police officers, uh, some fire and rescue leaders. And, um, and, and we connect really well because I formerly wore a uniform and that's a type of uniform service. You don't always think mm-hmm. of it that way, but it really is. And so, there are situations where it really is important to be able to, it's not a time for collaboration, it's a time for emergency. And that's, that's a unique trait of uniformed services, whether that be military, police, fire and rescue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the ability to do that is very necessary. But as your, you know, your, the Army uh, medical uh, friend says 98% of your time, though, has nothing to do with that. And now normal leadership skills, if you will, really apply. It's, it's not often the drill sergeant barking at you and getting in your face. No, although for some it is, and they usually aren't very well respected and not well liked, and it's not normally a very motivated um, climate, if, if you will. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, so I want to talk about, you know, as I mentioned um, earlier in introducing you, the book um, practicing lean. And um, if I remember right, you had, you had reached out and volunteered to write a chapter. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, you know, first off, before we talk about what you shared in the chapter, you know, uh, what, what, what does practicing mean to you in the context of practicing lean or practicing anything? I really love that phrase, practicing lean. And actually, Mark, I may have learned that from you, to be honest with you, somewhere in the past about how, you know, doctors practice medicine, lawyers practice law, right? As lean practitioners, we practice lean. And it's really a great way to think about um, lean because at its core, lean, lean organizations are learning organizations and practice the word practice, right, means to, to keep working at getting better. And that is a sentence, by the way, don't quote Webster on that. I, that was my definition. I but, asked you. I asked uh, you. <laughs> but, but practice is about getting better. And so practicing lean is about getting better. And not just getting better as, for results and so forth, but also getting better at practicing it, getting better at, at doing it. And so... You know, I learned a lot in my journey, uh, some, a lot of which I wrote in that, in that chapter about uh, what I would like to say, what I, as I learned the application of lean, I learned that I didn't know as much as I thought. <laughs> the more I learned, the more I realized that I didn't know. Now, at some point, I, I've, I've surpassed that. I, I don't truly feel like there's even more I don't know anymore because I've been practicing for quite a while. However, still ingrained in me is this idea that it can still, there's still more to learn. You can't learn everything. And even though you may have seen the best way or a great way to do something, there's, there's, there's going to be, there's got to be a better way yet. And and so now where before it was directly applying lean with the organization I was in, uh, now I've, it's about practicing how well I can consult, if you will, or coach and mentor others 
in, in doing it and even refining my skill on being a coach and a mentor. Uh, so I'm now practicing how to teach others to practice lean, if that makes sense. Right. Um, but yeah, so, so what it really means to me is, is continuous learning. Yeah. And you're, you're right. There, there's, there's practicing of, um, the craft, there's practicing, you know, whether that craft is lean or being a consultant or being, being a coach, those different roles that, that we fall into in, in different ways. Yeah. You know, I just realized one, I think in the chapter, I referred a book by Carol Dweck called Mindset. Yeah. And I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but okay. basically it's, a, it's, it's, I encourage uh, any of the observers to, to get that book if you've never read it. But, you know, Carol Dweck describes these two different mindsets that we, that everybody has, and you're usually in one of them or the other, but often we, we spend more time in one than the other. And, and the growth mindset is one where, you believe that you can get better. You believe that um, your journey is a growth journey, a learning journey, and not necessarily an achievement journey, if, if you will. And she uses the examples a lot of, of education where, you know, are you, are you taking classes to learn and get better or are you taking classes to achieve and get a certification or, or whatever it might be? And that fixed mindset is more of a mindset that, um, you know, I can't really do much about my success so I need to spend time proving myself that I am good. You know what I mean? And, and it's a different mindset. And so that fixed mindset doesn't work in lean at all. Mm-hmm. And you really, part of the lean culture, if you will, is to help people spend more time in this growth mindset, spend less time judging and spend more time trying to understand, spend more time learning and less time uh, just, you know, again, judging or, or grading or assessing. Um, and, and that's, to me, that's a big part of practicing also. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think a fixed mindset as somebody saying, well, you're either good at problem solving or you're not, as if it's like just this innate talent that you either have or you don't, as opposed to a growth mindset, which to me, that practicing is a growth mindset. How do, exactly. we, how do we take steps uh, to get better? Uh, how do we reflect? How do we learn from mistakes? Things like that. Yep, exactly. It's, uh, and in the same, it's funny you mentioned, you know, some people are just good at problem solving and some are not. The same can be talked about with leadership, right? Mm-hmm. You've heard leaders are made, not born or born, not made. Wow. It's, it, to me, it's, it's incredible how little organizations attempt to develop their leaders. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, you know, we could, we could, I could talk all day about that, but, um, you know, I recently watched a, a video by Simon Sinek and, and, you know, he very well-known author and speaker mm-hmm. and so forth. And, you know, in that, in the video I watched, he talked about how organizations, they wouldn't hesitate to, or not, let me rephrase that. They would never think about hiring a nurse who's had no nurse training, you know, no train or hiring a, a machinist who's had zero training, you know, to run a complex CNC machine. So why do organizations hire and place leaders or promote leaders and not give them any training and expect that they're going to be able to do a good job? Right. And it's really fascinating because leadership truly is a skill. It is based on behaviors. Uh, and, and it's, um, it's, it's one of those things that it, it's really, it's, it's fascinating to me 
that there's there are so many leaders out there who don't believe in the effectiveness of development um, or don't believe that leaders can actually be developed to become better leaders. Um, it, it's that fixed mindset where you, you're either a good leader or you're not a good leader. And, and nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah. 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 So coming back to your question, the idea you brought up earlier about helping leaders break down barriers to success, well, you know, ultimately it means success of the business or the organization. But we can also think about success with what they're trying to do with lean. Um, are the barriers, I mean, like there's, there's perception of barriers. Do, do, what happens you know, if uh, leaders you work with think the barrier is something, but in your assessment, the barrier is something else? <laughs> that, uh, you know, that happened, the, ironically, the situation that happens most often is when the senior leader is the barrier <laughs> and they don't, they don't think they are. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, yeah, that go ahead. But uh, when that happens, I, I will say most, most leaders, in my opinion, most good leaders actually have a pretty good idea of what their barriers are. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, I put a lot of stock when I'm working with an organization to ask leaders, you know, what do you think your issues are? Tell me where you're trying to get to. What's keeping you from doing that? And, and in most cases, I, I, they, their insight's actually pretty good. Um, so I, I don't actually experience that too often. Now, we might find something that we believe is also causing a barrier that may, we may elevate in their eyes um, but usually whatever they identify is a factor, is, a, is definitely a problem. Uh, at times, the barrier is a symptom and we, we can help them look at the root cause of what that symptom might be that they hadn't considered. Uh, so for instance, an organization that has high turnover. You know, my barrier right now is I'm having trouble finding and hiring qualified people. Well, boy, now you, that, that's a big can of worms there. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why that can happen where people are leaving the organization. But as you probably know, Mark, it, it usually comes down to leadership and culture, right? And, and so helping organizations identify what some of those root causes are, helping them with assessments, helping them uh, find those root causes of these barriers is something that I would say we... I, I more bring to the table when working with organizations because they usually know what their barriers are. And often they even know the root cause. What they struggle with is finding the time and, 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 and the creativity on how to break those barriers. Yeah. And I mean, when, as, as you mentioned in your chapter in practicing lean, you know, leadership and culture are the most important factors. Um, how, how do you help people get more specific? If they, if they, let's say they're on the right track of saying, well, you know, our challenges are related to, to leadership and culture. Um, can you help people get to a more specific problem statement or kind of narrow down, like, what is it about the culture or what is it about leadership that's holding them back? There's a couple ways. One of them is that many organizations 
culture is one of those words it's it's hard to define and measure right and but it can be <laughs> it can absolutely when you when you rephrase it into specific behaviors and attitudes and thoughts and you know we do this other organizations do that they act you know actually use assessment tools within your organization to measure your culture you you know gallup can measure engagement get you know organizations like ours and, and many others are can can provide assessments to to assess the culture and help you find you know where the culture is not supporting your lean initiatives uh, additionally once we spend even a little time with an organization it, uh, behaviors that uh, which are a reflection of the culture in an organization uh, can quickly be seen uh, and, and communicated to decision makers that are leading the organization that are examples of the culture that's not that that needs to be improved, if you will. So it could be uh, to be you know working with an organization right now, Mark, where uh, one of our team members is is out on the gimba, out on the floor. Uh, working with some teams and a supervisor came by and and basically barked something at one of the employees and, and walked off mm. and right you know so that was something we brought up to the to the the senior leadership here's an example of why your employees want to leave here's an example of why they're not engaged when that type of interaction happens uh, that is not that is not driving the right culture, and so uh, it's very easy for us to spot behaviors that are either supportive of a strong lean culture, or they go against a strong lean culture, and it's it's not hard to spot them once you know what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. So looking for those specific instances and and stories help make it real instead of talking more broadly or conceptually. Like for example, I mean, we talk about servant leadership, but okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does the opposite of servant leadership look like? You, you can help people break that down and, and see, or, you know, see what's there or see what's missing, right? Exactly. And, and that's, some examples are leadership. Some might be in the application of lean, uh, observing and watching how they've conducted continuous improvement in the past. You know, in some ways, if it's done where, let's say an organization is doing a Kaizen event that we either observe and help with, and one of the, you know, if the leadership's not visible during the event, if the person leading the team has some authority and they use this as an opportunity to simply implement what they want to implement, uh, you know, again, those are behaviors that are specific examples that or don't provide the right message. And it's that message that, that, that drives, the, drives the behaviors and the cultures. So, and then of course, going back to the assessment, Mark, as you know, you know some people like to, um, when comparing like Lean and Six Sigma, they, they, you know, Six Sigma works a lot with data and, and Lean eliminating waste. Well, as you know, that's not entirely true, right? So, so Lean is very much a data-driven, fact-driven discipline and and so being able to measure your culture, your engagement, um, motivation, again, there, there are tools out there. So if this is important, let's measure it. 
we can measure this so we can track it so we can see if we're getting better um that's that's pretty important it can be done yeah so one other thing I, I was thinking we can maybe take a little bit deeper dive into you know you're talking about finding root causes um i imagine it can be challenging or i, I guess i'll ask how do you go about trying to identify root causes or addressable root causes of some of this behavior, whether it's the example that you gave of, you know, kind of just barking in order and walking away or, or other behaviors. Um, how, how do you get to trying to find root causes other than saying, well, hey, you did that, that behavior, that was bad, don't do it again. How, how do you dig deeper into what's behind that behavior? Yeah, so one of the skills we teach leaders uh, is that when, when somebody is not doing something to standard, we'll say, they're not following a rule, they're whatever it might be, there's, there's a performance issue of some sort. There are some leaders that do just what you described, right? And that's obviously not the, the right type of, of, of leadership style. Um, so, so we help develop leaders to to develop a, a, a communication style when they're having those one-on-one -on -one conversations uh, to find out to, it's, it's, again, this doesn't come from lean. This actually comes from um, my leadership development programs that I learned. I, I didn't really talk about this in the introduction, but I'm affiliated with Leadership Management International and they've been around for decades and I affiliated with them because of their, of their, their programs and their process, which is, you know, really, it's excellent, and 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 from that, this this one-on-one -on -one conversation, they we we describe how the first thing you state is okay. This is what the requirement is. This is what I observed. Tell me about it. We we call it the tell me about it process, mm -hmm. right? Now that it's 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 not even it's similar to you know digging in whys, but when you're on a people level the why can be intimidating. Like, Mark, why, why did you do that? People and can said, to that. What's that? People can get defensive to the word why. Exactly. So we encourage them to say, tell me about it. Tell me what happened. And, and once you find out and ask questions with empathy as well, what happened, um, then the next step is, you know, reiterating, okay, I understand what happened. This is what we need to see. Uh, tell me, how are you going to start doing this? Or what are you going to do so this doesn't happen again? So what that does is it, it gives the ownership on the, the other employee. Because, and, and, and if you think about lean, right, we want at the lowest level that engagement and that ownership, right? And so even for some, an individual's performance, having them come up with the solution, now they have ownership. And just like when we're trying to, and this is one of the roadblocks on lean is when somebody tries to dictate an improvement and it doesn't come from the team that's working in that change, you get less, you get less results or less chance of success. So it's the same thing with coaching and leadership is that you want people to have ownership of their own personal accountable performance, if you will, and doing it with empathy. And it's much more, much more effective than simply saying, 
I told you to do this. You did that. You know, now you're in trouble, whatever. People know in most cases what they're supposed to be doing. So just telling them again is not going to do any, any help. It's not going to help at all. Yeah. And that's how, unfortunately, many leaders go about with discipline, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you make me think of what you brought up earlier in terms of growth mindset and, and taking steps to actively develop leaders. Um, there are times where you know, I've been in organizations where you know, there are no clear standards for how leaders are expected to behave. Back to your point about, are they doing something too standard? When there is no standard, there's no reference point and it's hard to coach and develop people in a way that's not just reactive and like, oh, well, you shouldn't have done it that way. Okay, the organization hasn't really taught me how I should do it. So maybe I'm learning through the implicit collection of scoldings you know, from <laughs> all the things I've done wrong. That doesn't necessarily point someone in a more positive path of, of how things should be, right? Right. And, and now, and, it's, and, and if you're in a leadership role or you've just been promoted to a leadership role, uh, you know, we, we hear of leader standard work, for instance, right? Well, let's, let's simplify that a bit. What are the standard behaviors we want our leaders to exhibit? And, and often leaders are not coached on that. They're, not, they're simply not coached right. on that. Right. <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's what we're talking. So when I think leader standard work, it's simply what are, what are those handful of behaviors that you should be exhibiting? Because that's what everybody sees. And behaviors can absolutely be taught and trained and developed. Uh, you know, Mark, I'm, a, a big part of what we do is about forming habits, mm-hmm. right? And breaking bad habits. And so I've, I've become a student. It, it's, it's funny. I'm uh, things like psychology, which being an engineer, I had no interest in college, right? None whatsoever. And now I find myself really interested in habit formation and sociology. And it's, you know, for an engineer like me, it's like a whole nother world I didn't even think about before. But those are the types of things that, you know, what you say, what you do as a leader has a huge impact and has the primary impact on the culture in your organization. And so those are behaviors which are driven from your attitudes and your habits of thought, how you think about things and your situation and, and your, your opinions and so forth. And so when we develop leaders, we want to address those attitudes and thought patterns because that's what dictates your behaviors. And so, and it's the behaviors that everybody sees and what, what affects your culture. So that's the type of thing we, you know, in working with leaders, we want to, we want to address those, those attitudes and, and, and thoughts of habit. It's funny, you know, my daughter, right? And uh, so she was a psychology neuroscience major. So I'm, she finds it fascinating when I start talking about this element of my job and, and, and she can contribute. And it's, it makes for interesting conversation because I would have never taken her major. She's a lot smarter than me. And that's just not what I'm into. <laughs> but I've gone through a similar journey um, as an engineer. I've in more recent years taken much more of an interest, as you were saying, in um, psychology um, I mean, even going back to, you know, w, w. Edwards Deming, Dr. Deming tried telling us if we were listening or not, that the most important thing for a manager is, psych- is understanding psychology. 
yeah. and understanding their employees. Dr. Deming often gets labeled as a statistician, which on some level was correct, but it's also an incomplete description of, of his yeah. contribution, I think. Much like lean, Mark, right? People describe parts of it, but it's incomplete. Uh, well, so yeah, Wall Street Journal had an, uh, an article um, saying, you know, how lean manufacturing is to blame because we still have trouble finding paper towels on shelves. And what they're describing is just in time or a misapplication, sorry to get on the soapbox, a misapplication of just in time. So again, like there's a part of a broader system that's being mislabeled, um, mislabeled as, uh, as lean, but. Yeah, I don't get on too many strong opinions like on LinkedIn, for instance, but boy, I jumped on that one. I, I had too many people approach me yeah. that, you know, that blamed lean on running out of PPE. And right. I had to do that already. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of, put, I tried to put a stop to that wherever I could, uh, wherever I could. So, yeah. So describing lean as some inventory practices that as I was taught work best in periods of stable demand. Okay. That has not been the case, whether it's um, PPE or um, toilet paper, paper towels, things like that. Um, So yeah, that, that, that can be frustrating, but um, back to, you know, the psychology of things though, you know, I've, I've done a couple of podcasts with people talking about something called motivational interviewing, which has its roots in counseling. And back to your point of, you can't just tell people what to do. You could take the extra step of saying, well, here's why you need to do it. That ends up not being an effective um, strategy. So yeah, I, I agree with you. There, there are a lot of very important lessons that come from psychology and social sciences that I think we need to help bring into um, our practice of lean, or I found it helpful to do so. We, we could do a whole nother podcast on motivation and yeah. engagement. And it's, it's a fascinating world. One that, that a lot of people, especially in leadership roles really don't know a whole lot about. And, and to, to the point you made about uh, Dr. Deming, that's it. It's it's really something that would be part of the curriculum, if you will, or the development of leaders mm-hmm. is to have to gain some of that knowledge. The the leaders we work with, Mark, on on their leadership skills, if you will, they when we get into the the psychology of motivation and engagement, most most of them have have just not had that. They think of motivation as something you simply you know you motivate somebody. That, that's not even the right way to think about it, right? And, and so having a conversation about needs, it's interesting with the pandemic has really, uh, I'm working with a group of decision makers in a leadership course right now. And when the pandemic hit, we, we, we were talking about motivation and, and, and they quickly recognized in our discussions the need to have these one-on-one discussions with the people on their team. Right. And I explained to them the reason that's so important is because motivation comes from the needs on an individual basis. And right now, this pandemic has thrown people's needs all over the place. What you think was important for somebody before, since the pandemic hit, their needs may have very well changed 180. And if you don't know what those needs are right now, you could quickly cause, have issues with some of your best performers for instance, 
you know, it, it's really thrown that into a tailspin. So mm-hmm. one of the best things leaders can do right now during the pandemic is have those one-on-one conversations with as many people in their organizations they can ask them how they're doing. What do you need right now? Right. And, and that's the core of motivation. And if you can help somebody, uh, you know, fulfill their needs, they're going to be a motivated and engaged employee for you. I, yep. And, you know, uh, you know, I remember Dr. Deming talking about writing about how managers need to understand their employees as individuals. Exactly. You know, um, I had an opportunity um, to interview um, Tom Peters in episode 382 and, and Tom Peters, you know, will, will go on and on. And, and I mean, this is a compliment because it's important. He will go on and on about how important it is for managers, um, as he put it, to give a damn about their people. And if you don't care about people, you should, res- I'm paraphrasing him. So if you, if, you don't, if you don't care deeply about your employees, you should just go home and write up a resignation letter. Because, you know, he uses phrases, you know, that, you know, leadership is this really, you know, important calling. It's not a job title. And it's just, you know, it's really, it's critically important to people's lives and arguably health in different ways. If, um, you know, there, there are different studies out there about how toxic work environments are literally bad for people's health. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it, it's true. And even at a small scale, like my business, Mark, um, we have five full-time employees and some contractors and so forth. But before anybody, I have already learned <laughs> yeah. that the best fit on my team, and this is the number one criteria I have. Well, there's two criteria, actually. This is one of the top two is you have to have a passion for helping other people be successful. You have to have a passion for helping others be successful. If you want to do this for money, if you want to do, this is not going to work. And, and that's the same for leadership. If you have a passion, that servant leadership mentality, right? If you have a passion for taking care of people, you are going to be very successful as a leader. Yeah. It's, it's almost that simple because <laughs> if you really take care of the people that work for you and you think in terms of what they need, your customer, if you will, as a leader, that's your customer, essentially, uh, you're going to be you're going to be pretty successful. Mm-hmm. It almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I, I, I you know, kind of taking a step within that, I, I think, related to continuous improvement. If you are committed to creating a culture of continuous improvement, you are very likely to create a culture of continuous improvement, where if somebody is only committed to it because they think there's going to be ROI and benefit, that commitment is very narrow. That commitment, I mean, I would say that you're probably not going to create that culture. Um, you always talk about, you know, and people have written books about quote unquote lean failures. I, I've kind of come to look and say, there are either, uh, there are only two conditions. You are still working at it. You are still practicing lean or you have given up. Right. Either one or the other. That's a good way to think of it, right? That's worth. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to think of it. I, I, uh, because I've, I've, I've thought and worked so much in this area of the, of the culture standpoint, when we talk about lean failures or, Let's just not use that word. Neither of us like that word, right? But, you know, roadblocks or difficulties in sustained engagement of lean, it is often, in my opinion, because that uh, there is, there is a, a desire for results, which is important. Right. Not trying to diminish that, right? 
but there's two ways you can, you know, you can get results um, very, very easily, quickly by doing a project or, or whatever. But for that sustainment, that's where the culture comes in. And, and this is something I learned from LMI in, my, in the leadership is that, you know, results come from your behaviors and your behaviors come from your attitudes. And mm-hmm. those attitudes come from prior conditioning. And, and that conditioning comes from hearing something or doing something over and over. It's like athletes conditioning their bodies through practice, 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 right? So in lean and leadership and culture, we want our leaders to be doing and saying things over and over and over to your point, Mark, asking for continuous improvement every single day. And it's not going to happen overnight. But if you do that, you will start developing that culture. And so leaders' actions and what they communicate, they have to do it frequently. They have to and they have to be committed long-term. And when that happens, that culture develops. And when that culture develops, now when you get those results, they're going to be sustained. But when we get the results, you know, I, I will often hear people say, you know, we helped an organization save a million dollars or whatever it is. And I always want to say, can you bring me back there three years from now and tell me, and let's take a look again. Because I know in most cases it's, it's, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't, sometimes it does sustain, but in many cases you bypass that culture part and, and therefore, you know, that, that's one of the challenges, you know, we, we kind of, we were touching on that before. That's one of those barriers. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you mentioned maybe, you know, as we can, um, start wrapping up, um, you mentioned the pandemic and how that's changed a lot of things that's affected people's lives and what they're bringing into the workplace, whether virtual or returning to a physical workplace. But what, what's something that you've learned or, you know, how have you had to adapt, you know, what, what you do in your work through OPEX solutions and with others, um, any, anything that's been surprising or an important lesson during the pandemic? Yeah, I, I, I've learned a couple lessons, if you will, or, or learned a couple things at least. One is that if you want to, I, I tend to be a glass half full person. So I tend to be optimistic and so forth. And so if I want to put a positive spin on this, I think many organizations through this pandemic are learning what are those most important processes and activities they should be doing or need to be doing. There's a lot of waste in organizations. We all know that. It's amazing when you're up against the wall, what gets set aside. And, and now organizations are realizing, you know, we're still performing okay and we're not doing this stuff anymore. So I think it's really helped if you want to put this in terms of lean, what are our really value-added activities that we do and what are the ones that are wasteful? And it's helped them identify waste. Um, so I've definitely seen that. Um, I've also... Uh, seen where um, now, you know, this is a different, we haven't talked about this yet, but when you talk about respect for people, that concept with lean, it's not just those in your organization. It's even for your clients and your customers and your suppliers and so forth. Right. And you want to think of everybody teamwork and and collaboration and not, you know, with those relationships. Well, I will tell you when the pandemic hit, I had, two clients who not only kept working with us during the pandemic when they could have easily stopped, they were truly, truly concerned about my well-being. 
Wow. Which was fascinating because those are the organizations I want to work with. They were looking at us as a true partner. And so although they could have stopped working with us, they wanted to know how we were doing. Hey, let's find some other ways for you to help us, even if you can't come into our site. Uh, it was an incredible display of what I think that the Toyota way is when you're looking at your external customers and suppliers and so forth. So we've been very fortunate um, in, in that, and it, it kind of solidified um, that concept for us. Additionally, on, on leadership development, we were fortunate that what we do can be done virtually. So we shifted to a lot of virtual. We were in the process before the pandemic hit to be able to do that. So we were, we were fortunate there. Um, I've become Zoom is a natural way of life for me now. Um, right. But what I, the other thing I learned, though, is the importance of being together as a team and being on the Gemba. It is very difficult to do virtual Kaizen or Kaizen events. It's not impossible, Mark, but it's really tough. So one organization that's trying to do it right now, I said to them, you know, we've been trying to do this and we can definitely I've learned some things such as you know, try to have some sort of virtual whiteboard that you can use and, and make sure everybody's monitors are turned on or their cameras and, 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 and keep the scope low enough and, and maybe only do a half a day at a time because it's hard to be at your computer that long. So right. some things like that can be helpful, but I actually encourage one organization to, because everybody's so separate, just challenge everybody to make a small improvement in their day-to-day -day activity, kind of like along the lines of the two-second lean, right? Right. You know, get people to think about, you know, what can they do today? And then what can they do tomorrow? Even if it's a small change while they're working at home and that works on that culture and that mindset. So maybe that's the best thing to do right now until everybody can get back together. Yeah. So if, you know, people have been practicing lean, um, now there are new things to practice. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're practicing Zoom. We're practicing virtual. We can practice Small improvements, and and you know I'm a huge fan of um, small kaizen improvements in, in different settings, and the power of of that, not just the uh, the big projects that 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 people tend to focus on. Because to me, you know, bring it back to you know culture change and culture of continuous improvement. Like to me, culture are those daily habits. We are either improving and creating an environment as leaders where people are free to speak up, safe to speak up, are allowed to go and test changes and evaluate changes. I'll bring it back to Dr. Deming one last time. It comes back to whether you call it a PDCA cycle or a PDSA cycle. I don't know how much more than that you need sometimes, but the, the difficulty then comes back to how do we create that culture? Culture change is hard but it's worth working on. It is in, in, in long-term commitments required. There, there's, there's no substitute. Uh, there just isn't. If you really believe in this and you want to pursue it, uh, in addition to working on results and, and implementing tools and techniques of lean, there has to be leadership and culture has to be a part of that. If you really want any, any chance of what I'll call long-term success, because in all those years I worked as an internal consultant in the corporate world, and I got to visit a lot of sites and work with a lot of teams, the ones, it was, it was crystal clear, Mark, the, the ones that were having the greatest success of sustaining and were the ones where the leaders were rolling up their sleeves, they were asking for improvement, they, they were developing and creating the right culture. 
And, and it was, it was obvious. It was black and white obvious. Um, so that was one of the things I picked up in those early years about why you have to think long-term and why you have to consider the behaviors and the culture in your organization. Yeah. Well, thank you. And again, our guest today has been Mike Lee. For those of you who are listening to it in the podcast, as opposed to watching on YouTube, it's L-E-I-G-H if you're going uh, to look him up. Um, OPEX Solutions. Um, Mike, what's the website? What's your website? Sure. Our, our website is opexsolutionsllc.com. That's spelled O-P-X Solutions, LLC.com. Um, and you know, we, we have a, a LinkedIn page also, and obviously I'm on LinkedIn also. So I would encourage anybody who wants to connect with me, please do so. Uh, I'm striving to get as many followers as you have, Mark, but uh, I'll never get there. I'm just kidding. I'll never get close to that. So, but yes, uh, and, and we like to put a lot of information out on our LinkedIn page and articles and newsletters and so forth and, and really help, help people be successful, whether they work with us officially or they you know, simply want to chat. So, yeah, I hope people will reach out to you. And, and again, for those um, on YouTube, you'll see I'm holding up um, the book that Mike was a contributor to Practicing Lean. And you mentioned your daughter, Samantha, earlier. I want to, um, again, thank her and give credit for um, stepping up to read uh, the audiobook version. Um, I mean, I stumbled through my own chapters and Paul Akers read his on Two Second Lean related concepts, but, but that book and uh, Samantha Lee's voice, um, you can get that now on the Audible audiobook platform. So again, that title is um, Practicing Lean. Um, so Mike, thank you for your contribution to that. And again, please pass along my thanks to your daughter, Samantha. You're welcome. And if I, and if I may, you know, my daughter has, uh, she's actually stepped in with some of my clients, helping mm -hmm. with audio you know, training videos and stuff like that. So if anybody has any need for that, she's a, she's an aspiring, you know, she likes to do it as actually a hobby. It's not her career, but uh, she likes to do it. And so she, she really enjoyed helping because it's a good, it's, you know, that book, if you didn't really tell your audience today, but you know, the proceeds go for a charity, that's a, a, a good, you know, it's a good way to spend money on a book, learn something and, 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 and help a charity out. Yeah, and, and that charity, that nonprofit is the Louise H. Batts Patient Safety Foundation. Um, and we've raised, it's, we're, we're almost at the $5,000 mark. Um, all of the royalties uh, from Amazon and Lean Pub when we published it there and now Audible um, are being donated. So um, again, thank you. Thank you for that. And we encourage listeners to go check that out. And um, Mike, thank you. Um, thanks for taking time. Thanks for being a guest today on the podcast as well. Thank you for inviting me, Mark. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.